time to screw the norms. To fit in, we often hide what's on our minds, who we really are, or who we want to be, or even what we want to do. But now you're having the right conversations. Here, we'll talk about sex, relationships, and mental health, and how they interact with each other and so many other aspects of life. Shame can't survive when we're honest and curious with each other and ourselves. It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. Hello, my friends, and welcome. Welcome back to The Right Conversations. I am so, so excited for our conversation today. Um, It's a very special episode, and these folks don't actually know why yet. They're about to learn in real time. Um, My very, very, very first day of practicing non-monogamy, the first thing I did was get a recommendation for a podcast, and it was multi-amory podcast. And so, yep. Like literally we were like, okay, we're going to do it. And my friend was like, okay, listen to this episode of multi-amory and download field. And I was like, what are those things? (laughs) Do you know what the episode was? I can look back. I like, I wrote it down in my journal. Like I have, and I was on a bus in New Hampshire. Like I remember it so vividly and like, wow. Oh, yeah. So you y'all were the first like voices in my ears about non-monogamy other than my education as a therapist. So this is a very full circle moment. And I'm just very honored and happy to have you here. I love knowing that. I'm so glad to hear we were there from day one. And so that means everything went great since then, right? (laughs) Perfection, actually. You know, no, no hurdles, no hurdles. Um, No, it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful. So (laughs) For folks who don't necessarily know who you are yet, or maybe they do, but want to be reintroduced, um, Dedeker, can you tell us a little bit about your podcast and then we'll get into the book and and what you guys do in this world? Yes. So my name is Dedeker Winston and along with my co-host, Jace Lindgren and Emily Matlack, we created and we currently host the Multi-Amory Podcast, which is a research-backed relationship advice show that centers non-traditional relationships, which we have been recording and releasing weekly ever since 2014. So cool. Like... <laughs> Talk about ahead of your time, right? Mm. Like 2014, there was not a lot of dialogue around non-traditional relationships. No, I mean, I still want to say we, as always, stand on the shoulders of giants because there were people ahead of us who helped to pave the way, right? You know, I think all of us had read the classics that are still classics to this day, like The Ethical Slut and Sex at Dawn and things like that. There was, I think at that time, the one other non-monogamy podcast was Polyamory Weekly, and they had also been going for many, many years. So there were definitely people who started to blaze that path for us. But I do think we started at a really interesting and pivotal time where it was kind of like right before the tide shifted a little bit where all of a sudden there was much more of an explosion of, I think, people being more out, much more awareness, much more visibility, many more people creating resources, many more people just being comfortable openly identifying on their social media profiles that they're non-monogamous. So yeah, it was, it was kind of a funny time to get started. Yeah. Well, so, oh, go ahead, Jace. Yeah. I was just going to say what was so cool is that one of the things we set out to do originally like when we made the decision to use our real names on the podcast instead of pseudonyms, which is what a lot of the existing content had done before that, uh, was, you know, we had that debate of, you know, is it's a little bit risky to do that? Should we do it anyway? And part of it was we wanted to make it clear that this is something that doesn't have to be hidden. It's not shameful. You can just be a normal person trying to do the best you can in your relationships and have these types of relationships. And so you know, I'd love to say, well, and it's because we did that and it worked. Look, here we are. But (laughs) (laughs) I am at least glad that we got to be, you know, part of that, that movement with a lot of other people to help normalize this and just make it something that people could talk about. And there's still a ways to go, but the amount of progress we've seen just in these nine years or so since we started the podcast has been incredible. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, and we won't harp on this for a long time, I promise, but how did you find each other and how did you decide to even do this? 
Yeah, I mean, Jace and I were in a monogamous relationship for quite a few years and then it opened up and we met Dedeker and her current partner at the time um, through OkCupid. We started dating. We actually were a quad for a while, but quads tend to be very precarious. And so that broke up after a while. But during that time, the three of us felt really passionate and interested about communication and what is it that, you know, makes relationships better or worse. And just Jace was also interested in creating a podcast and had that kind of harebrained idea. And so we decided, sure, let's try it. And then, you know, nine years later, here we are. Our relationship has taken a lot of forms over that time. Jason Dedeker are still currently in a relationship and I'm not in a relationship with them and I'm actually monogamous now. Uh, but, you know, the three of us still are doing the show after so many years. Well, and that just speaks to using the tools that you talk about, right? Like, Absolutely. I'm sure that many of the things that have been developed and discussed and researched have come from those evolutions over the years. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think that we probably wouldn't be where we are today if we didn't actually utilize the tools that we talk about. And we definitely <laughs> yeah. don't do them perfectly at all times. No way. Uh, I still kick myself sometimes when I'm like, wow, you know how to communicate better than that. Like you theoretically can do that, but yet in this moment you aren't. So I do think it's been a lot of trial and error, but it's really a testament to our relationship and the bond that the three of us have that I think we've stayed together in this way for so, so long. Yeah, yeah that's really special. The enduring power of you should know better when it comes to communication <laughs> is is huge, right? And so, yeah, like Emily was saying, I, for all of us in our personal relationships, in our relationship with each other, of course, we're not perfect by any means. But again, spending so many hours talking about these things means at least in the moments when we're all tired or stressed or irritated with each other or someone's having a bad day or some emotions are coming up that at least we have something to grab onto. At least something will come out of the ether around needing to pause or need to take a break or just needing to yeah. remember, okay, I need to just like step back and just listen or be compassionate, right? Like, so at least that's been something that's helped get us through many rough patches and ups and downs and changes in life circumstances and relationships over the years. Which I wish is something that we taught. I talk about this a lot that I wish we taught these skills in school. Like, why oh, aren't yeah. we teaching DBT yes. in elementary school? Why aren't we talking about, you know, taking breaks during conflict in elementary school? Like these very fundamental things that are game changers for people. And folks aren't learning about it until they're like 45. Yes. Yeah. If, if that. Yeah. 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 It's like we're not learning about it until we realize, ooh, what I'm like the default messaging and patterning that I came into this world with isn't working for me. And now I have to unlearn. So it's, it's like we're all coming to an unlearning process rather than just a learning process. So you've been doing this podcast. And one day were you like, and also let's be insane and do a book too? Like what? How? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's how it went. Jace, why don't you tell that? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, so we, we, uh, a couple years into the podcast, started a Patreon as a way, you know, for people to support the show and also to join a community. And we set a goal for ourselves way back of, you know, when we hit this certain number of members in our community that will do something. And we kind of weren't sure what that something would be, but like we'll do a new project. And when we got there in 2019, like many years later after we'd set that goal, we're like, okay, cool. What should it be? And we put out a poll to our audience. And the the winning thing was a book that people wanted a written form. Because I think a lot of people, you know, the people who love our show love podcasts and the ones who love this show love podcasts too. But not everybody in the world listens yeah. to podcasts all the time. And there's something nice about having something that's written down and organized more clearly like a book and also that you can share or reference more easily than trying to figure out now what was that at 20 minutes and and 5 seconds into the podcast you know where was that to make that nicer reference uh, yeah. and then we started down that journey and it's taken us basically 4 years from that point till the book actually coming out just shy of 4 years but we're here and it's very exciting to 
finally have it out in the world. It's so, so exciting. And I, I thank you for bringing light to that process too. I, I'm currently in the process of uh, finishing my proposal with my book agent. Yeah. And Congratulations. people are like, oh, thank <laughs> yes. you. Thank that's you. A, that's huge in and of itself for sure. I, yeah. And who knew? I was like, oh, the proposal, this part's easy. Oh my God. It's like 50 and, pages of work. You know, it's enormous. Yes. Yeah. It's wild. And my community is like, where's the book, Rachel? Like, where's the book? And I'm like, yeah, talk to me in like five years. Right. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. So um, thank you. Thank you for naming that. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, so, also at the same time, also having a name, you know, having to keep a show running also, yeah. you know, still producing mm -hmm. weekly content. And so, you know, some good things came out of that in that we expanded our team during that time. You know, like not only do we start leaning more on our existing production assistants who help us every week, but also we, um, we hired two research assistants, essentially, like people to be the ones to be awesome. like... Who are academics. Hey, who are academics who have access yeah, to academic libraries. Exactly. Yeah, that can be like, yeah. okay, you can access the studies. You can, can you can understand the studies. You can read them. You can condense them. You can make them palatable and, and accessible, not only for us, so that we can then also make those accessible for other people. And that was the result of, oh my God, how do we keep a show afloat while also writing a book at the same time? And so, yeah, I mean, to, we, we were insane to go back to the way you put it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, insane in a very, very, very positive way. Mm -hmm. um, so you talked earlier about this book being for, and the show really being for non-traditional relationships. And I think that the four of us can agree that that is not saying just non-monogamous relationships. So I want to just toss it out to anyone who wants to answer this, but what does non-traditional relationship mean to you? I think even if you are monogamous, if you do it in an intentional way, that can be labeled as a non-traditional relationship. If you're actually really thinking about what does that monogamy look like? What are the elements of monogamy that I want to keep in my relationship? And what kind of prescribed elements that just everyone thinks, yeah, this is what you do. What do you want to get rid of potentially? How, you know, do you want to relate to your other friends or family members or people in your life that aren't just necessarily your partner. I think that could even be non-traditional because so many people just believe if they are partnered, that's it. That is always going to be number one. Nothing else matters. And you need to put that relationship above everything else. And I think if we're intentional in the ways that we create all of our relationships, that's super important and super um it, just something that we can kind of derive from non-monogamy or sort of the wisdom of anything that's non-traditional, that chosen family. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I say often relationships are relationships are relationships are relationships. And whenever yes. I say that for the first time, someone looks at me like, what? The like what drug did you just take? Like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, the skills that I use with my partners are the same skills that I use with my mom. And they're the same importance to me in my life. Like, does that mean that they're going to be prioritized equally every day, every hour? No, of course not. But that doesn't mean that one is like more important in my life than the other. Um, and so to, to your point, Emily, I think that that's, you know, it's important. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I appreciate you bringing up the mom example because like during the pandemic, I went through this interesting experience with my own mother where um, that's a long relationship, as you might gather. And <laughs> as happens with long relationships, they tend long and complicated relationships. And unfortunately, my relationship with her hit a really low point towards the beginning of the pandemic. And I felt so frustrated because I didn't feel very empowered around communication in that relationship. You know, when I was thinking about like, what would I do with my friends? What would I do with my partners? I would be like, hey, I have this tool that we can try or hey, let's listen to this podcast episode together. Or maybe let's read this book together. And I didn't feel like I could do that with her. Um, but then I was like, okay, but if I was really on the rocks with a partner, I would probably be like, let's go to therapy together. And I was like, people don't do that. People don't go to therapy with their moms. And then I was wait, wait, LM. FT that stands for family. Okay, so people do do that, and I had this extremely challenging, but ultimately really, really positive experience going to 
you know, a licensed marriage and family therapist together with my mom. And I think I wouldn't have done that just a few years ago because of that weird thing of like, ah, but that's a parent relationship. That's different. And it is so funny when I've spoken to a lot of my friends of my same generation about doing that. And most of my friends, especially not the ones who are non-monogamous, most of my friends are like, are you crazy? Like, no, you don't like your parents are just your parents. You're stuck with that relationship being the way it is. Like you, like you just have to deal with it. Right. Like you go to therapy because of your mom, not with your mom. Mm, And so I thought that was so interesting. And so I, I do think being more inundated in a community that's maybe more likely to embrace that mindset of like relationships are relationships are relationships, right? Like probably led me to make that choice as opposed to, you know, I think in any other context, I probably wouldn't have because I would have assumed like, no, the therapy thing, that's what you do with a romantic partner. And then with a mom, you just sort of find ways to deal with it. Right. And I I absolutely despise that concept in any relationship of like, well, this is just how it is. Or like, well, they're blood, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like you compartmentalize, it, it's the, and you just like yeah. tuck your <laughs> anger away or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's terrible. Do do either of you, Jason or Emily, have any other like relationships or relationships or relationship examples for yourselves? <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I, I mean, the three of us, I think, are a huge one for sure. Yeah, definitely. Like platonic yeah. life partners, as you've said, that occurs so many times. Yeah, that's a that's a huge one. And the fact that we have to utilize these tools with each other over and over and over again, and that we've really made this relationship with the three of us one of the core centers of our lives, I think. And that's, yeah, something that, again, as a monogamous person or someone who's in a monogamous relationship, I think other monogamous people may look at that and be like, what? But you were in a romantic relationship with these people. Now you're not. What are you doing here? Yeah. Yeah. I just recently went through, uh, I was also in a quad and mm. um, my, it started as me and my then husband meeting my two now primary partners. We're now all divorced legally. Um, and my this is like so complicated to explain. My original husband uh, is now no longer part of our relationship and we're a triad now. And the three of us are looking to go to Massachusetts to get um, Mm. domestic partnered three Wades uh, because our our lawyer was on the front lines of the legislation there. And it's so interesting figuring out how my ex-husband, you know, we still want to be in each other's lives. And it wasn't a hostile thing. It wasn't a an icky thing. It wasn't like a you're such a fucking douchebag thing. It's like a we love each other so much that this isn't working. Yeah. And let's figure out how it can work. And that like growth mindset versus like, well, we had sex and uh, we're married. So like, how could we possibly talk to each other after today? <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. 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 That's so good to hear, though. I mean. I know you're the one trying to interview us, but I want to interview you about that a little bit (laughs) in the sense of, well, so people always ask us, right? When we describe how, yeah, we were in a quad and then triad and then the triad broke up and stuff like that. And people are always asking like, what got you through that? How did you deal with Mm. that? What was the most challenging part of that? And so you don't have to relay the whole story, but I'm curious to hear from you. What do you feel like was the most key part in getting through something like that? Oh, man. I wasn't expecting to answer questions. <laughs> um, no, I I think that the biggest key piece was leaning on, and this is going to sound so fucking cliche, but leaning on the relationship skills that we were using before. Um, you know, I feel so grateful to have partners that are very pro therapy, and as a therapist that's like a non-negotiable for me because mm. I have fallen one too many times into the role of therapist in my relationships. Mm. And so it was very important to me that my partners, all of them did not rely on me in that way. Um, and so really being able to turn to each other and use the same language and be able to, you know, how about we do this tool? Like, can we have our family meeting? Like whatever was working for us before, we just kept doing, but evolved it to fit whatever relationship structure was going on. Um, 
so yeah, like keeping it as weird as it sounds, as much was changing, also keeping the fundamental skills and tools the same, you know, it's like the value system of respect in, in the relationship didn't shift because the relationship title shifted, you sure. know, it, when I shared about it on Instagram, which was a wild experience, um, one of the mm-hmm. things that I put is like, you know, no matter what your title is in my life, I want you in it because mm. like titles doesn't Lovely. matter, right? Like the the person is what matters. Like forget the label. I, we can figure out how often we want to talk or see each other, but like the title of that relationship doesn't dictate that anyway. Yeah, that's so interesting because with the two of them, I mean, I have this like knee jerk reaction to be like, yeah, I do a podcast with my two exes maybe it sounds a little salacious I don't know like kind of fun but yeah Yeah, exactly. it's a good hook it's it's you know they've been my co-hosts and partner in a different way than for much longer than they've been my exes or much longer rather than than I've been in relationship with them in a romantic way so that's probably not like a really good thing to say. And I I do wonder, I'm like, there is no label for what we are. It just is. Yeah. Exactly. I was just going to jump in and say, I struggle with that same thing of trying to, trying to explain to people my relationship with Emily, where Mm. it's like, it's like, yeah, sure. If I, if I want to just get some attention, the X thing is a great direction. (laughs) Right. But but if I'm like really trying to communicate this more to a friend and not to like some press outlet or something like that, (laughs) It's like, I honestly often forget about the X part. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even, like, that's not at the top of my brain in terms of, like, that's the box that Emily fits into. Yeah. It's, but then it's like, okay, it's a good friend. But then it's like, but there's also more than that. And there's, you know, we've been so intertwined, you know, financially by having a business together, which a lot of people only do with romantic partners. <laughs> and, you know, being entwined financially as well as emotionally and spending so much time doing something that we really care about together, doing this podcast. And it's frustrating sometimes to, like, I don't know how to convey it to people. Yeah. And so eventually it's just kind of like, well, I don't know. She's, she's my friend. I don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. like, I don't, know, I don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> well, and at some point it's like, what, what is the box? Like, who is the box for? Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in that case, it's like I want a a shorter way to try to convey all of that to someone else to explain like this is Emily. Like, like if you think about if I introduced you to a friend of mine or sorry, to a person you haven't met before. Sure. And I said, hey, this is my wife. People immediately are like, wow, okay, this person's important to you. Mm. You have, you know, a, a romantic relationship like you feel very strongly for each other. For me, as someone who knows you, I should know this person because they're a significant part of your life. And I feel like with friend, we don't have that same level of connotation there. Whereas if I were introducing Emily to someone or talking about Emily, I want them to get more like that other picture in terms of how important this person is. Which is so interesting, right? Because how many couples, let's just say husband and wife to be super fucking heteronormative, husband Uh and wife (laughs) that saying this is my wife, they're actually like that person may not be very important to them and they may not really (laughs) give two shits about them and they may not be financially intertwined and all of the things that like we make that word mean or whatever word mean is not the same thing that someone else thinks it means and so it's like these labels to try to like convey the meaning I have found sometimes almost create more confusion because we then assume that our meaning of that word is like the other person's meaning. Mm -hmm. So it's like, this is my best friend. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, I know how my best friend is. So like, that must be what Rachel's best friend is like, you know? Yeah. 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 How fascinating. I mean, that makes me go back to what you're talking about earlier about relationship education and communication education. And I, I think it is kind of funny how, of course, we grow up with, this sort of pretty standard, pretty normative hierarchy of relationships modeled around us. But I'm just thinking about also how early we get modeled the whole, well, this is my best friend Mm. thing. And I mean, I think it's great to have a best friend, but I also think it's great to have more than one best friend. Yes. Yes. And that's something that gets tossed around. I watched The Bachelor for 
brain numbing entertainment. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I have for years. It's great. Uh, in fact, my ex-husband and I used to have a podcast recapping it like through oh, the lens wow. of a uh, couple's therapist. It was very oh, wow. fun. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and one of the things that like is one of the cliches on that show is they're like, I'm trying to find my best friend. And I'm like... <laughs> Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like that's, okay. You yeah. have one? Like what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ex exactly. I'm like, are you gonna like ditch your other people exactly. you do before this reality show? Right. I don't understand. Yeah, I mean that is how a lot of people think about relationships. Exactly. Though. Yeah. Yep. Like when you find that they're gonna replace the role of basically everyone else in your life. Yeah. yeah. Take over all the responsibilities, all the expectations, fill all your needs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know? but, well, I don't want to spoil any Ted Lasso for anybody, but I'll talk about it in very generic terms because that really pissed me off. That happened in an episode where someone got into a new relationship and immediately bailed on plans with their close friend. And I think yeah. in the course of the show, we just see it as like, oh yeah, that's totally normal. That's what you would do. Right? Like we'll see. There's still time. There's still there's time. Still time. To come there's still time, yeah. sure. But but it, <laughs> we're like, invested, seeing, as yeah. you can tell. <laughs> seeing that interaction did make me think about that, right? Of like, oh yeah, yeah. there it yeah. is, normalized. Right. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Totally makes sense that you would bail on plans with me last minute because you have a new relationship that you're in. Yep. There's so much normalized. I I was watching this uh, the new season of Working Moms on Netflix, and there was a moment where uh, one of the women to her partner says, "Like, oh, are you jealous?" And it's framed as this, like, oh, you must love me so much yeah. if yeah. you're expressing jealousy. And I literally out loud was like, no! <laughs> <laughs> Please stop! <laughs> the honeypot is more than the products in your bathroom cabinet. It's embracing that time of the month. It's staying balanced through the ups and downs, good sex, and bad sex. It's exploring, it's learning, it's plant-derived. Powered by herbs and science, the first complete personal care system to get you what you need when you need it. Check out The Honeypot at Target, Walmart, Walgreens, and on thehoneypot.co. You can enter code RACHEL20, that's R-A-C-H-E-L-2-0, for 20% off your first Honeypot order on thehoneypot.co. Like there's uh, so many, yeah. are there things that you all see like this that just like get you lit up and screaming at your TV also? <laughs> it's constantly. Yeah. Yeah. We were just watching an episode of Spy Family just the other night. Uh, same thing where it was that like, oh, is she actually jealous? Meaning she must actually like me. Same, same sort of thing. We just associate yeah. those two with each other. There were, this was kind of not really related, but the words love bombing have been in two different shows that I watched recently. And mm. I was like, oh, like they're, they're talking about the hot thing right now. And love bombing is one of them. And Ted Lasso was one of those shows. So yes, that's um. just interesting to kind of see what's in the cultural zeitgeist, I guess, at that moment. And then what pops up on these shows. Yep. I'm yep. I'm really frustrated because I'm still gunning for some day when someone can effectively rope in a non-monogamy romance plot into a video game. So all three of us are gamers mm -hmm. and Love so far it. it's like so either it's non-existent either it's like sure you can romance multiple characters but you're always going to reach a point you have to where do one. Yeah, someone's yeah. like okay, you mm -hmm. got to pick, right? So you got to pick one. Or the only other handful of games that have tried this, either it's been like, like I think the newest Fallout was like, sure, you can romance multiple characters, but none of them ever really acknowledge it or talk about it. Like it's, you just kind of mm -hmm. happen to be able to have parallel relationships and there's nothing that actually brings home any kind of sense of consensual non-monogamy. Yeah. Or games that I've played where they're like, great, you can be non-monogamous. That automatically means you're like in a group relationship and you're like having threesomes with people. Right. And so I'm like, okay, sure. These are maybe scratching the surface of some different non-monogamy practices, but I've yet to find someone who's found a way to effectively do that in a game. But hopefully that's on the horizon. I hope so too. What we're trying to say is, if you listener out there are a game developer <laughs> and you would like some consultants to help out with this, hit us <laughs> up because we want this game to exist in the world. Truly. Also a TV show, like a dating show. You uh, know, All of those, yeah. Uh, the 100%. Bachelor is the same. It's like, here's this yeah. crash course in non-monogamy. Here, be super uncomfortable without any skills. And then, oh, at the end, 
be monogamous. It's right. so ridiculous. It yeah, really so is. Weird. Because you see the person falling in love with multiple people and it's like, yeah, of course you are because right. you're going on these amazing <laughs> dates and like, this is all that you're thinking about for six weeks or whatever. So yeah, you should just date both of them. Calm down. Exactly. And then in the interview, they're like, I can't believe it. I am. I How actually have feelings <laughs> for more than right. one human. And they're like blown away. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine that. And imagine. Yeah. Well, so I like okay. to think about, again, because I'm so glad that you shared the education piece because it's something I'm also yeah. really passionate about. I just think about like, what if someone had told me when I was in like middle school, that it's even possible to be attracted to more than one person, not even related to what kind of relationship you okay. get into. Yes, yeah. that it's like, yes, that is something that it's we do shameful. as human beings. We can sometimes be attracted to more than one person at once. Like, it's like that was even missing. Yeah. Oh, completely. I have a diary entry from freshman year, freshman year of high school. I was 14. I was dating my first like serious person. and. Uh -huh. I so deeply wanted to make out with this other like oh really God, hot person in choir. Me. Oh, really? Really? Literally me. Like, oh my God. I, I totally okay. kissed this guy in a play and it, and it didn't like we weren't supposed to. It was oh. in A Few Good Men, which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> the 14-year-old production of A Few yes. Good Men. Yeah, and I like... A lot I more was, progressive like, than you realize. Yeah. yeah, I was Joanne Galloway. I was the Demi Moore role, and then he was the Tom <laughs> Cruise role. And I was like, he's so hot, I'm going to kiss him. And I did. And I was also like definitely dating a guy for a couple years, my little, you know, high school relationship. He was so mad. Holy yeah. shit. He was so pissed. Yeah. And I felt really bad, but I also was like, who cares? Calm down. <laughs> I literally wrote, like, I don't know if I'm ready to be in a relationship uh, because I want to see what it's like to kiss this other person, mm -hmm. but I don't want to break up with this other person. Like, yeah. I don't understand why, like, why you put me at a buffet from food around the world and you're like, but you're a slut if you eat a burrito and chow mein at the same time. Like, what are you talking right. about? I'm at a buffet. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh, drives me. Yeah. 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 Well, oh man, Emily, I bet we could exchange many more stories. Oh, yeah. I love your inquire. I guess. So for anybody who wants to get this book, how can someone know it's for them? Like, if someone out there, of course, for non-monogamous folks who have listened to your podcast, they're going to be like, oh my gosh, yes, that's like a no-brainer. How about for other folks out there? Like how how can they know like, oh yeah, aside from they know that I preach all the time relationships and relationships and relationships. So like go buy this fucking book. You will benefit from it, I <laughs> promise. Um, but from the, from the mouths of the authors. Yeah, so I think that we can condense it down to maybe two things that are necessary in order to get something out of this book or to know that this book is for you. And I think it's really helpful that you brought up the growth mindset thing because I do think that's part of it. I think that's a big part of our show in general, right? Is having this sense of, oh, if something's not going well in my relationship or if I'm having difficulty communicating, there are ways to fix that. There are ways to, there are tools to at least try. There are things to experiment with. There are ways that I can customize my relationships, customize the conversations that we're having so that they actually fit us and feel comfortable for us and work for us. So I think that's a big part of it. And then the only other thing is, again, this is not a non-monogamy manual. It's not a how-to. You just have to be comfortable with non-monogamy existing because of the fact that like we do use examples from non-monogamous situations, but then we also use examples from monogamous situations as well, right? So all the tools in our book are tools that we have developed over the course of the show, tools that not only do we use ourselves all the time, but also that our audience has picked up and run with. We've gotten a lot of audience feedback on what's worked for them, what's not worked for them. They're tools that I use with my clients. I've gotten a lot of feedback that way of like what helps with people and what doesn't help with their communication. So, so basically it's like if you are someone who's interested in having better relationship, and again, with the definition being that relationship is relationship is relationship, and want to get better at communication and want something that's maybe easy to share with a partner, easy for you to book club with a partner, um, easy for the two of you or three of you or how many of you to fill out, uh, you know, homework prompts, discussion questions, things like that, then this book is for you. 
Is there anything oh. that I missed there, Jason M? I don't think so. That was good. Yeah, we need to like sound bite. I'll like sound bite that and send it back to you Perfect. so you can like use it on a website. <laughs> One of the things that I really love about your all of your approach to this is I've always been a research nerd. Like I come from an academic background. I got all the way up to dissertation with my PhD and I was like, this is stupid. I have too many student loans and then just started <laughs> practicing as a therapist at Great. my master's level. Um, but I always loved being able to bring research-based techniques and making them accessible for people. And again, like you were saying with your research assistants, like people don't know how to read studies unless you go yeah. to school to learn how to read studies, which is <laughs> shitty gatekeeping and I hate it. But given that that's the system right now, like how can we make these things accessible? And it seems like things like your, um, I think it's the radar. Is it radar check-in? Is that the, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. things like that pull from so many different research-based things. And so that's why part of why I feel so comfortable, like I haven't read through your whole book yet and I feel fully comfortable like recommending it wholeheartedly to everyone because I've seen how much effort and dedication y'all put into having these be like based in something, not just like this worked for one person one time. So like, here's a guide. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's something that we definitely see out there and even in a lot of books that are pretty popular where it's just someone yeah. just kind of came up with it and it worked for them. And so they said, this is how everyone should do it. And I think sometimes they've gotten lucky and that's been helpful for other people. And a lot of times it's not. And people can feel really bad that this system didn't work for them or maybe it actually is worse for them. So, so yeah, that is one of the great advantages we had in writing the book is that we've been doing the podcast for as long as we have. Yeah. And so it's not like we just came up with these tools and the first time anyone's going to encounter them is when they read this book. And that's the first time we'll get feedback is after the book's already out there that, you know, this is stuff we've been able to talk to people about and have focus groups and look up more research and refine over time. So yeah, that's, that's been really important to us. And I think also just having the opportunity in the book to share more of the research that we talk about on the show, because like you said, most people are not trained how to read research studies. And even if you are, a lot of them are long slogs to get to yeah. any of the useful information. So it's, you know, not only is it a skill you have to learn, but also it's a bummer to have to do. Um, but at the same time, a lot of the way that the media portrays studies is they'll just pick out one thing and just say, oh, look, if you, you know, make dinner together, you get rich or whatever it is, right? <laughs> that it's like they've <laughs> they've totally taken some kind of correlation and yep. said it's a causation and then not explained how that, oh, and the study was done on five people and- <laughs> All you know, undergrads. <laughs> In all Minnesota. Undergrads, all yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All, all heirs to Fortune 500 companies or something, <laughs> right? Like they leave out all the details. So something we try to do on the show is when we talk about studies to give- as much context as we think will help to understand the study a little bit better, as well as some caveats without getting all caught up in, and, you know, this was the standard deviation and, you know, this is the, the you know, S regression that we ran on this, whatever, <laughs> like we don't need to get into that part of stuff because I wouldn't even understand that if it were presented to me that way. I'm like, wait, what? Show me a graph. What? Uh, so trying to find that balance between, being true to the studies, giving more reliable information and explaining it as we go, while still just giving you, here's the useful parts. Here's the parts that we yeah. think you could take and apply in your life. Beautiful. And Were you going to jump in, Em? Yeah, sure I can. Yeah. It just there, it exactly what Jace said is a lot of these studies kind of only are geared towards one particular group of people. And we do try to talk about that. And I think... I know that's something that our research assistants have said too, that so many people of color, so many gay people, so many people that aren't just this white, you know, demographic essentially, who generally tend to be pretty young, the studies just don't really look at them. So I do think that that's a big thing that we have to be aware of and that we try to tell our listeners, and we've talked about it some in the book as well. And, you know, with the hope also that, studies are going to start 
bringing those people in as well. And that's the thing that I think really needs to change in academia and in, I think, as we look at, at relationships and how they're evolving and changing and how we as a society are as well, it needs to be more inclusive. Agreed. Let's also sound clip that and send it to every news channel ever <laughs> and school. Oh, okay. So yeah. using the relationships or relationships or relationships concept that we all seem to agree is accurate. Yeah. What is each of your favorite thing about being in relationship with someone? Oh, wow. What a wow. question. Yeah. It doesn't have to be question. like your only favorite, but like one of your favorites. I think, okay, so I, gosh, okay, I'm just shooting from the hip here, just (laughs) off the top of my head. This has not been pre-rehearsed, so let's see what comes out. But the first thing that comes up for me is I think there's something about being really fully known by somebody and yet also at the same time still being discovered. I, Mm -hmm. I think that at the beginning of a relationship, it can be so exciting to like discover a new person and have them discovering you and like delighting in you and asking questions about your history and about the things that you like and, and you get to do the same and that can be so exciting. And, and sometimes we lose a sense of that as our relationships go on. But I do think the healthiest relationships I've ever been in, there's this simultaneous feeling of, wow, I I can be so vulnerable with this person. This person has seen me at these low points. They've seen me at these really embarrassing points, Um, but they still love me and they still cherish me. And we're still discovering new things about each other, right? Like literally last night, (laughs) literally last night when Jason (laughs) and I were going down a really weird YouTube rabbit hole, I found out that you have like very strong opinions about candy canes that I never knew. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we've been together They're, almost 10 years this? at this point. They're basically the worst candy. So. <laughs> I had no idea. Worse, like worse than No, he's so, or, such strong. Feel like he's getting angry on the couch. Like he's so passionate about this. <laughs> candy corn versus candy canes. I, I would oh. take candy corn any day. Interesting. Really? Yeah. God, candy I canes wouldn't. are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> It's not good for your teeth, but the the peppermint is lovely, no? Well, to bring it back to relationships. So I love love getting that experience in a long-term relationship. And then I think the special benefit of non-monogamy is getting to like literally have that experience in parallel of who I I can feel really comfortable and nice and loved and cherished in this long-term relationship and be having this kind of fun, flirty, ooh, this new person that I'm discovering. So kind of getting both those things at once, I, I think is uh, something that really gets me going. I do want to clarify real quick that I do also think candy corn sucks, but just between <laughs> the two, I would put, I would put uh, candy canes a little bit lower. I just I don't, don't want anyone to like hit me up being like, what the fuck? You think that candy corn is good? I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> is it like the shape, the flavor, the texture? Like, yeah, like there are some candy canes that are okay if they have a good flavor to them, but it's like it's like a weird shape that doesn't make any sense, has no practical use, and you just like suck on it till it sharpens to a point and you stab yourself in the mouth. And like there's just like no and the weird way the wrapper comes off it and like <laughs> like you really you're sucking like on it about while those. the No, yeah, yeah see, like, there's a whole other corner of Jace I've never stumbled into. I love your corners. Right. And then you could be like, like, cause you roll off the wrapper, but not all the way so that your hands aren't getting sticky while you're holding it. Right. And then you're sucking on it. But like, because that shitty little plastic <laughs> is so similar to the texture of the candy cane, you end up like sucking on the plastic for a while and you're like, oh, wait, shit. I gotta like roll that. It's just a bad candy. It's just bad. And I don't know why they're so ubiquitous at the holidays. But Jace, what do you love about relationships? <laughs> about being in oh, relationships? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Emily, go first. I've talked to you. <laughs> yeah. okay. Jace is um, like, I am consumed with candy canes right now. I need a moment. <laughs> this is similar in some ways to what Dedeker said, but I think having the privilege, if you do get the privilege of having a lot of time with someone is really interesting because it shows, you know, you can kind of look back and see, wow, I used to get so upset so easily about these things. And as, you know, time has evolved and as I've evolved as a person and has as my partner has as well, that shifted a lot. And it's really cool to see when 
you don't get upset about things that you used to, or you don't get triggered as easily, or just simply something you've kind of evolved past or broken that pattern and it just doesn't hurt as much as it used to, or it just isn't, I think, uh, it, I don't know. I, I like that I used to get, I, I used to get really like upset about little things and it just doesn't face me as much anymore in relationship. Or I used to be not really sure of who I was in my relationship and who I think what I stood for in terms of myself and my partnership. And I'm much more clear on that now. And I'm much less, you know, worried about, I think, all of those little things that used to piss me off or hurt me or whatever. Things still do come up, but it's great to like see the evolution over time and just watch what happens there. Love that. Thank you. All right, Jace. Yeah, I think for for me, uh, what I love about relationships in general is that I feel like I get to learn so much about myself through the relationships I have. And that's one of the things that I love, one, about polyamory, but two, just about how learning more about relationships has opened me up to the idea that relationships are relationships are relationships. And that I've also you know, especially in recent years, really put more intentionality into how I approach my friendships. And some of these relationships I've had for a very long time in my life, but, you know, traditionally would have just been like, oh yeah, that's my friend. But to kind of be more intentional and really think about those relationships because a little bit of a different side of me comes out in all my different relationships, right? Like I, it's almost like I'm tapping into a different part of my brain for the way that I joke with my friend, Steve, like he has this like super quick wit and like also really off the wall, weird sense of humor. And when I'm with him, like that's where I go. And it's like, I'm getting to use this part of my brain that I can't use anywhere else. Cause no one would get it. And you know, when I'm with Dedeker, we have all our little inside jokes. And when I talk with Emily, we have ours. And when there's the three of us, it's a whole different thing in the way that we interact. And for me, it's like, I'm getting to experience more pieces of myself and learn more about myself from all these different relationships. Thank you. I love all of those answers. And I know that there are going to be many people out there listening who resonate with all of them and who may resonate with one. So thank you for, for going off the cuff with me there for, for a moment. Where can folks find you if they haven't already? Where is the best place for them to, to do so? So you can go to multiamory.com slash book to find our book. And if this is after the 23rd, you can order it. If it is before, then you can pre-order the book there and find all the places that you can pre-order. Also, we are doing two events, two live events that are going to be in celebration of the book. One is going to be on the 24th in Seattle, Washington. And then May the second- 24th. Yes, May 24th, May 24th. And then the second one is May 30th. Uh, and that's in Los Angeles, California. And besides that, you can find us on Instagram at multiamory underscore podcast and then Twitter and Facebook at multiamory. And if you're so inclined, join our Patreon as well. Yeah, check it out, friends. I, I promise you, if you like the content that I put out and that you're used to getting from me, I promise that this will resonate with you. Like, and I, you also know, I don't promise things. So I really, wow. yeah. I really, really do. I, yeah. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anything that you want to leave everyone listening with before, before we say bye. I would just no, say no that no pressure. Just to everyone listening out there, you know, whatever kind of relationship you have or whatever you want to do, that there are people like Rachel and like us who are here trying to help you do that the best way you can and not trying to make you do it in a totally different way just because of that. And I think the other piece I would say is that also you don't need to be alone in trying to make your relationship work. If you're with someone who's not, also putting in the effort on their side, like that's not a failure on your part. That's, you know, you deserve better than that. And you deserve someone who is going to put in some effort on their side. It doesn't have to look exactly the same as you, but we all deserve to have good relationships. And that should just be a base level of 
willingness to communicate, willingness to work on our relationship rather than, well, that's the dream. Maybe someday in a fantasy world, I'll get that relationship. I just want to encourage everyone to be like, no, that's the base level. That's the the bare minimum is someone who's willing to put effort into your relationship. So I hope for that for all of you in all your relationships. I think I would piggyback off that to say, you know, Rachel, you shared earlier about what helped you get through these relationship transitions was the fact that everyone was very pro-therapy and everyone had their own therapists. And, you know, way back in the day when our own quad was falling apart, none of us were going to therapy. But I think maybe it goes beyond just screening for people who are pro-therapy or who are in therapy, even though I'm a huge fan of that. And I think that's a great thing. But I feel like it's finding people who are are pro-growth people who feel at least some sense of empowerment around, okay, we can change patterns. I can contribute in some way to change my patterns. You can contribute in some way to change your patterns. And then together we can find a way to communicate that works for us. We can find a better pattern for our relationship. And I feel like that's the key, right? Is, you know, not feeling like we're stuck, like we're trapped, like there's absolutely no options, you know, feeling like you're partnered with people who can lean into that and are willing to work together to affect change, positive change in your relationships. Love that. Relationships are very difficult. And so give yourself some grace because you will fuck up and we all fuck up like the three of us do all the time. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. And, And that's really okay. And so also realize that our partners are not going to be perfect either. And so when you can give them some grace too. Beautiful. Thank you all so much for your time. I am so, so grateful to have you on. And I know everyone listening is going to get something really important out of this. So thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. And and thank you for the work that you do as well in supporting people. It means a lot to us that there's other people out there doing that. And it's so great to be here. Thank you. That's all for today, you sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together.